invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. I've titled today's message, The Pharisees and Sadducees, which are the first four words of Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are very familiar words for anybody who has read the Gospels. But I was surprised to find out this week that those four words don't appear very often together in the Bible. Pharisees over here, Sadducees over here, very seldom in the same sentence. Now they've already appeared once together in the same sentence in the Gospel of Matthew back in chapter 3, where these two groups of Israeli religious leaders were confronting John the Baptist. But that's it so far in Matthew. And they won't appear in the same verse again until chapter 22, which is during Passion Week, when they really come after Jesus. One of the big reasons they don't appear together very often is that these two groups, the Pharisees and Sadducees, didn't agree on very much. They were very different groups with very different beliefs and values. The Pharisees were kind of the ones on the right. They were the religious conservatives who were famous for their rules to retain holiness. We've heard a good bit about them in the Gospel of Matthew. They were very focused on the external, on the outside, right? Remember a couple of weeks ago when they were so concerned about Jesus and his disciples not ritually washing their hands? The Sadducees, on the other hand, were more like those on the left. We haven't heard about them tussling with Jesus yet. They weren't nearly as scrupulous about details and rules, and they weren't nearly as confident in the Scriptures. They were famous for not believing in the resurrection from the dead. So they were sad, you see, right? Yeah. All right, it may not be that funny, but it's a great way to remember the difference, right? The Sadducees were more in the ruling class and the priestly class. So they were more in charge than the Pharisees. So here their power was threatened by Jesus. But these were the two main and disputing parties within the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious ruling council. They did not get along. Right? Do Republicans and Democrats get along right now in in the U.S. of A? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. They don't. But looky here. Here they are together in the same verse. Jesus has brought them together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend at least for a time. Things have been heating up between Jesus and the Pharisees. And now the Sadducees want to team up and get into the fight as well. Let's pray together and then see what the Pharisees and the Sadducees have to say to Jesus and then what Jesus has to say to and about them. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this church family. So good to gather So good to see what's going on in everybody's life and catch up after a week of being away. To pray for one another, to lift each other up, to encourage, to challenge. Thank you, Lord, for our extended family of churches, especially the Allegheny District that some of us got a taste of this week. Thank you for our brother and sister churches. Thank you for um, faith in Garrettsville that we're praying for this week. Mike and and those folks over there. Thank you for Super Jeff Powell and and Kim Powell and for how they've served us faithfully these last 16 years.
I pray for this last year of their, this last lap to be a really good one. Thank you that we're going to get to see them here at our church in April. Pray for blessing on them and that they would, they would finish well. And I pray, Father, for you to raise up the right person to be our next superintendent, pastor of pastors, consultant, somebody to, to get behind church planting in the district. Pray, Father, for you to make that abundantly clear to all who that should be. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We're going to see now about these Pharisees and Sadducees, and we don't talk about them all the time. We don't think about them, but here they relate to our life because this is part of your eternal word that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So use these foes, these enemies of Jesus to make us better followers of Jesus. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now that should sound familiar to you. The Pharisees had tried to pull this trick back in chapter 12. We saw back then that this is not actually a request. Yes, they're asking, but it's not a request. It's a rejection. It's a team-up rejection now. It's not just the Pharisees, but the Sadducees as well. The two of them demanded that Jesus show them a sign from heaven. I take that to mean a sign from God. And they might have also meant a sign up in the sky. Right? A heavenly sign that would prove once and for all that Jesus was the Christ. In other words, they wanted fireworks. And they wanted them now. Hey Jesus, how about lighting up the clouds so they say, Jesus is the Messiah. How about the stars all coming into a point and pointing down at you? Can you do that for us? We want to see a sign. It's interesting that it says they were trying to test him. The Greek word there is the same word that Matthew uses to describe what Satan was doing with Jesus in the wilderness. The tempting. These guys were not hoping that Jesus would produce a sign. They were hoping he would fail to produce a sign. It's really awful what they're doing. Think about it. Because what are they saying by asking for this sign? They're saying, what you've done so far is not enough. What has he done so far? What have we seen just in in chapters 14 and 15? The healings. Walking on water. Feeding of the 5,000 men. The 4,000 men. The big crowds. Ah, that's not enough. What you've done so far is not enough. You are not enough. We reject you as Messiah. You may be Jesus, but you're not the Christ. If you are, then we'll prove it. Think about this in juxtaposition to the woman that we read about just last week. Do you remember her? She was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. She was from pagan land. And she had, what did Jesus call it? Great faith. Woman, you have great faith. Now look at these men. They should know better. 
These are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are people that are the leaders of their country, the religious leaders. They should be bowing before Jesus and receiving Him as their King. They knew the Bible. And they're rejecting Jesus. They're saying, show us a sign from heaven. They're rejecting Jesus, so Jesus is rejecting them. Look at verse 2. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. That's a rebuke, isn't it? He's saying, you want a sign from the heavens? Well, you're good at the signs in the heavens. We say it like this, right? Red sky at night. Sailors, delight. Red sky in the morning. Sailors, take warning. Well, you got that down. You can see the obvious when it comes to the weather. Looks like we're going to get snow this afternoon. You think? It's obvious. Jesus is saying that they shouldn't need another sign. You can't see the obvious when it comes to me, Jesus says. It's right here in front of you. But they cannot see it because they don't want to see it. Verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Here we have another strategic withdrawal. And it's a judgment upon them. Jesus turns on his heel and leaves them. No. Goodbye. I have three points of application for us this morning. Here's the first one. Read the signs. Read the signs. This isn't talking about the Old Testament or about eschatology in the future. It's talking about what was right there in front of them in Jesus. Remember in Matthew that we have to keep our eye on the ball. How many times have I said that? A bunch, right? What is the ball in the Gospel of Matthew? Keep your eye on the ball. It's the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Jesus says, by now it should be obvious. If you can lick your finger and tell what the weather is, you can look at all the evidence and tell who Jesus is. It's right in front of your face. Read the signs. Look at the miracles. Listen to his teaching. Watch his interactions with people. Watch him at work and decide for yourself, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? What you can't say is, come on, give me some more. Give me some more. More signs, please. I haven't seen enough yet to make a decision. What you've done so far is not enough. You are not enough. Jesus calls for faith. Jesus calls for us to believe in him. And for those who do not have faith, who do not believe, who refuse to believe, He has only one more sign for them. He calls it the sign of Jonah. Do you remember when He said that before? Back in chapter 12? What is the sign of Jonah? Do you remember who Jonah was in the Old Testament? He's so memorable, isn't he? It's just a great story. He runs away. He's the prophet who doesn't want to do what prophets do. And he runs away. He gets on the boat. And the Lord stops him with a storm at sea. 
And the sailors are all upset, and he says, okay, it's me, toss me overboard. And he dies, right? Well, no, it looks like he dies. They toss him overboard, and when you're tossed overboard in the Mediterranean, you die. That's what happens. Except he gets sucked up by this great fish, and three days later he spit out on the shore. Amazing. Think about what he must have looked like, right? No wonder they repented at Nineveh, right? He was as good as dead, buried, and then he came back. Ah, that's what the sign of Jonah is. Dead and buried and gone, but on the third day, Jesus will rise again. Jesus says, look for that sign. That's the only one you really need. Can you see that sign, the sign of Jonah? Can you read that sign? Do you understand what it means? We're coming into that season when we contemplate what Jesus did for us on the cross and what happened at the empty tomb. It was the sign of Jonah. Death, burial, and glorious resurrection that makes all the difference. Read the signs. That's the whole point of the wild game dinner, right? We want them to come and read the signs. We want them to see who Jesus is and what He did for us. So that they can follow him true too. Have you read the signs? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he rose again? If you have never believed that, I invite you to believe it today. Read the signs. Because the opposite is unthinkable. It's Jesus turning on his heel and leaving you. And going away. Leaving you with your cold, hard heart. Your hard, cold heart that says, I don't believe you. I reject you, Jesus. You haven't done enough. Do me another miracle. And then maybe I'll believe. To people who say that, Jesus says, no. Those with cold, hard hearts towards Him, those wicked, spiritually unfaithful idolaters, will not get a sign on demand. Just the sign of Jonah which should be more than enough. Read the signs. Now in verse 5, the story changes. But the focus stays on these Pharisees and Sadducees. He's leaving them, but he's still talking about them to his disciples. Look at verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Now this is not one of the disciples' better moments. They have failed to bring bread, which was apparently their job. And they're so focused on their failure that they clearly aren't listening to what Jesus is saying. Ooh, Jesus is talking about yeast. Yeast means bread. It must be because we forgot the bread. This is what we call adventures in missing the point. By the way, I act like this all the time. Do you? I'm so focused on myself and my thoughts and my performance and what I think I've done wrong that I often am clearly not listening to Jesus. I can be reading my Bible and I'm so focused on me that I miss the Lord. Have you had that experience? I love how Jesus ministers to them 
at this moment. He does one of these, hits them up the back side of the heads, right? Verse 8. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith. What's the Greek for that? Anybody remember? Oligopistoi, right? We've seen it again and again in Matthew. It's one of Jesus' favorite words for the disciples. Oligopistoi, you of little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oligopistoi. That's a rebuke. Whenever he says it, it's a rebuke. But it's a gentle one. It's a loving one. His rebuke for the Pharisees and Sadducees is to turn on his heel, say, check out the sign of Jonah, and then we'll talk again. But with these guys, he says, oh, you of little faith, come on. It's like when my wife lovingly calls me, you dummy. Come on, Matt, you know better than that. Come on, disciples, you know better than that. You can trust me more than that. Oligopistoi, you of little faith. Here's point number two. Remember the leftovers. Remember the leftovers. Jesus says, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000, oligopistoi? And how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Why are you worried about forgetting that food when I'm here with you? Do you think I could take care of the food, guys? How many are in the boat? Thirteen of us? It's okay. I can take care of the food. Remember? Notice that word, remember. That's one of the most important words in your whole Bible. God wants us to remember what He has done. How often do we forget what God has already done? That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper so often, right? Jesus said to do it, what? In remembrance of him remember to remind ourselves what jesus has done yes when we come to this table we're reminded what we have done we're reminded of our sins and worse sins than just forgetting to bring some bread but that's the biggest things but that's not the biggest thing we're supposed to be remembering at this table the biggest thing to remember at this table is not what we have done but what he has done for us Remember. Remember how much was left over when I did those miracles? That was important when we looked at those miracles, wasn't it? It's not just that he fed everybody, but there was lots more than was needed. Remember, Jesus says, that I am more than enough. I am more than satisfying. I am more than you need. Do you think of Jesus as more than you need? So often we act like Jesus might be less than we need. Jesus plus. But Jesus says, remember the leftovers. That's me. I am more than you need. What do you need to remind yourself this week that Jesus has already done for you? Maybe you want to write a few things down on the back of your bulletin. Maybe you're focused on yourself right now. You need to think beyond what did I do? What do I do? 
But what did he do? On the Wednesday night before Stay Sharp, I've often said that I'm a self-tightening nut, okay? That's me. You know what a self-tightening nut is? I'm not exactly sure, but I know that's me, okay? I was lying awake the night before we go to Stay Sharp, and I had a lot of things on my mind, and I could not sleep. And my mind just kept swirling with worries and concerns and frustration, and I just couldn't corral myself or my mind. I was up pretty much the whole night. Joel drove us down, by the way, because I I wasn't in any shape to drive. I'm this self-tightening nut. I was so upset about it. I was so upset I couldn't even, like, tell myself, stop it, right? Because it just made it worse. Just stop it. And my wife says to me, she puts her hand on me, and she says, can you pray? Can you recite scripture? And I could hardly do that. I was so twisted up at a mental knot. And then I started to thank the Lord for things. I just started to list the things back to the Lord that He has done in my life. Long time back, more recently, and even that day. And the list got longer and longer, and eventually I fell asleep. Remember the leftovers. Jesus has always been more than enough, and He always will be. And number three and last, resist the bad yeast. Finally, in verse 12, they get the point. Then they understood that He was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, duh, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, that's what you meant. Not yeast, but yeast. Right, right. It's interesting that Jesus uses yeast as the illustration here for false teaching. He used yeast, if you remember, he used yeast positively back in chapter 13 for the secret growth of the kingdom. Remember the woman worked the yeast into the dough in his story, and that's how the kingdom grew, kind of secretly but pervasively. Well, he says there's also a bad kind of yeast. The false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, both of which will kill you. Yeast is seemingly insignificant. It's mostly invisible. It seems innocuous. It's easy to miss, but it's pervasive. And it's contagious. And it grows and grows silently. And before you know it, it's all over. Today we might use the illustration of cancer. False teaching is a cancer. It's not easily detectable if you aren't paying attention. But it spreads and grows and metastasizes. And next thing you know, it's killing the body. That's what Jesus is warning us. Be on your guard against the bad yeast, the cancer of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what is that? What is that false teaching? Well, both of these groups went wrong in in different ways. The Pharisees, as we've seen a lot in Matthew, were focused on the externals, on legalism, on rule-keeping, and they ignored the insides. They ignored the heart. And they tried to get actually out of keeping the law or loving people instead of their hearts being transformed. They were always adding to the gospel and trying to dodge obedience in the kingdom. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were unbelieving If the Pharisees were adding, the Sadducees were subtracting. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't really believe the Bible. They they didn't believe, they believed in power and wealth and prestige and position. 
They're focused on the world. Both of them were hypocrites because they were both supposedly religious. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says to beware of their hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. So false teaching comes in many different disguises. Again, that's why I'm glad we have things like Stay Sharp, to learn about false teaching and be aware of bad ideas with bad consequences because ideas have consequences. They are not neutral. Do you know what ideas are true and which ones are false? Can you identify between the good yeast and the bad? The one big false teaching that these two groups had in common was the teaching that Jesus was not the Christ. They didn't agree on much, but they agreed on that one. Jesus warns us to beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees because bad ideas have consequences, especially when that bad idea is that Jesus is not the Christ. They were getting that one wrong. Don't be like them, Jesus says. Don't be like the wicked and adulterous generation that rejects me looking for a miraculous sign. No, put your faith in me. In the next section, which we're going to get to next week, Jesus will flat out ask his disciples if they get it. He will ask them, who do you say that I am? Keep your eye on the ball. Because that question is all important. Don't fall for the false ideas that swirl out there in the culture about who Jesus is. Instead, come to trust Him as Savior and follow Him as Lord.